0: Hi, I'm Allison Hare, a former corporate executive documenting my journey to find a new way to live and work after burning out. Welcome to the Late Learner Podcast, where we explore fresh, Modern and proven approaches to break down old, deeply embedded ideologies and create new ones that frankly just work better for you. So, what are we late learning today? We are talking all things ADHD, attention deficit hyperactive disorder. And as a parent, I'm navigating how to support my seven year old daughter who is recently diagnosed. And with more and more people being diagnosed across the board, sometimes self diagnosed. We can all relate to the challenges of staying focused in our distracted culture. And joining us today is Cindy Robinson, an accomplished parent and teen coach with deep expertise in working with neurodiverse people. Cindy shares ninja, and I mean ninja tools and tricks for navigating ADHD. Listen to this without shame with more motivation. Yes, I'm being real and in a much more fun and natural way. Yes, I'm totally serious. I'm bringing all of this to you today, totally for free at zero cost to you. We also talk about what separates ADHD symptoms from trauma and shame responses, as well as Cindy is answering all of the crowdsourced questions we got from you. As always, Cindy is giving perspectives you may not have heard before, but once you do, make so much more sense. Now, I know you're excited to cram all this information you're about to get into your head, but before we do, let's get to the good stuff. What is the good stuff? Well, stuff stands for surprisingly true, useful fun facts. People with ADHD actually make for great entrepreneurs. An international team of researchers from the Technical University of Munich, the University of Bath in the UK, and Syracuse University in New York, found that four qualities of people with ADHD were huge factors in becoming successful entrepreneurs. Those four qualities are impulsiveness, hyper focus, high activity level, and a different way of thinking. Isn't that promising? It gets even better. Sir Richard Branson, Walt Disney, Ikea founder Ingvar Kamprad, Jim Carrey, Zoe Deschanel, and many, many others also have ADHD and attribute it. Many of them attribute their ADHD as the reason why they reach such high levels of success. That's some good stuff, right? Stay until the very end of this show where I'm going to give you another... For more good stuff and a very peculiar fun fact about dogs and ADHD. Here is my chat with Cindy Robinson. We are back with late learner fan favorite Cindy Robinson. I think this is time 11 or 12. <laughs> It's never enough. (laughs) It's never enough. So what are we late learning today, Cindy Robinson? Welcome back. Thank you very much. Uh, We're talking about ADHD. Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder. Why are we talking about ADHD today? Well, I think
1: the reason I really want to talk about it is I want to... Give people an alternative narrative around their ADHD, maybe explain it in a way that is more empowering and hopefully less shameful. Um, And that just feels really important because that diagnosis is rising in numbers and our kids are starting to get diagnosed with it.
0: So I feel like it's time to have a more balanced conversation about it. So I looked up the statistics and it said it was 5% of kids are diagnosed with it and 5% of adults. But when I put a call out on Facebook, it seemed as if everybody had or had somebody in their family that did that. Is that a right statistic? Do you know? Well, the, the
1: statistic is accurate as far as people who are diagnosed with ADHD. Mm. It's somewhere between 10 and 12 percent of people. There is some suspicion that there are some, several undiagnosed yeah. people with ADHD. It's likely higher than what the statistic says because more people have have it but haven't been diagnosed with it as well as our culture is starting to encourage a shorter attention span and therefore issues with attention Um, because we have a higher demand faster paced culture with our phones and our screens and our notifications and the way our society works likely is triggering ADHD symptoms in people who maybe wouldn't have had those symptoms in a different culture.
0: You just open up Pandora's box, because that is where everyone's head goes is, do I have ADHD? Because my attention span used to be good. And now it's a mess. But one of the things that had come up when I crowdsource questions, in anticipation of you coming on here is that people were urgent they were frustrated, whether it was for themselves or for their kids, or their, their partner. And there seemed to be so much shame kind of embedded in the questions where I would even get texts of my daughter has it and we haven't told anybody.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, when you call forward people to have a discussion about ADHD, or to ask questions that they have about it, it's overwhelmingly negative. It's overwhelmingly mm-hmm. shame filled, to where all of the concerns and questions are about how can I suck less, and mm. you know how can I stop hating myself so much? How can I be a better person and stop being such a bad type of person? People are frustrated and annoyed, and those are the the descriptors that you hear, which continues to reinforce. This belief that it is a bad thing to have ADHD. It's a bad thing for your child to be diagnosed with it. And I don't want to be a toxic, positive person, but I do want to at least be a voice who's advocating for why this isn't necessarily bad
0: news. Can you talk about the symptoms of ADHD versus the trauma and shame responses?
1: <laughs> yes, so that is my first favorite thing, is when I'm working with a client who has ADHD, is we need to separate out what are your symptoms versus what are your trauma responses or your shame responses as a person who's neurodiverse or living with ADHD out in this world. Um, that's step one, is first understanding what is actually just ADHD. So you kind of want me to to talk about yes. sort of the physiology of it. Yes. And, <laughs> okay. So basically, people with ADHD have a funky thing with their brain that in the prefrontal cortex area of the brain, there are two networks that happen in that part of the brain. One is called the default mode network. And that is whether you're daydreaming or if you're going down thought spirals, basically anything that's happening inside your brain when you're, you don't have an external stimulus. So if you're just sitting on the couch doing nothing... You have no outside stimuli. What is your brain doing? That would be the default mode network. So that could be your daydreaming. That could be you're going down a rumination of thought. That could be a thousand voices in your head at one time. Um, so that's the default mode network. The other network in the prefrontal cortex is called the task positive network, TPN. So that is the part of the brain that when you're doing tasks, when you're going over the checklist, when you're thinking what to do next, and then I do this, and then I do that, and you're just getting shit done, that is the task positive network. So the funky cool thing, or the funky horrible thing, (laughs) depending on (laughs) the current symptom that you're experiencing... About ADHD is it seems to really be a deficit of dopamine. I predict that in the next definitely over the next decade, we're gonna be looking at this more of a dopamine deficiency disorder than an attention deficit hyperactive disorder. Hmm. Why why is that important to distinguish? Because that's pretty much what's happening. Uh, We pretty much just have deficient levels of dopamine. And what we've learned about when a person has a deficient level of dopamine, their neurotransmitters do funky stuff, they kind of misfire. So that default mode network I told you about earlier, and the task positive network, those two are supposed to be on off switches to one another. Mm. So in a normal functioning brain with a normal dopamine levels, you would see if someone's using one of those brain processes, the other one's turned off and vice versa people with ADHD, it seems that that dopamine deficiency causes those neurotransmitters in both of those areas to kind of fire at the same time. So we get stuck in this kind of funky mode in between worlds, where we're in thought spirals, or we're daydreaming, or we're having crazy bursts of creativity and brainstorming in our minds. And at the same time, we have all this shit that we need to get done. And we have all this task list of stuff that we're supposed to do. And that misfire is what really causes the main symptoms that you see of ADHD.
0: Thank you for explaining that. And thank you for explaining it in a way that wasn't too scientific for my little brain.
1: (laughs) Pretty scientific.
0: You know, thinking about what are the symptoms versus the trauma and shame responses, are we talking about somebody who has been diagnosed with ADHD or somebody that might be suspicious that they might have it? So can you distinguish the difference between the shame of I can't get this done. Or like for me, I cannot sit and read a book. I mean, even even if it's 10 pages, I cannot sit and read a book. Audio all day, all day. But it it is frustrating for me that I can no longer do that. And I used to be a voracious reader. So tell me about the shame and trauma. Yeah,
1: well, A, the reason you might have used to could have and now cannot is you might be in a bit more of an overstimulated environment than you Mm. used to be in. Um, You'd probably at that point when you were a better reader, didn't have a phone, didn't have two children, <laughs> didn't have a lot yeah. of other things that were drawing your attention. So part of that is normal. If we have too many things to think about, we start to have an attention deficit um, because there's too much stuff to think about. But when I'd say the shame and things associated. So one of the symptoms that having this sort of dopamine deficiency or ADHD that's really common is a lack of focus. Right, an inability to focus particularly on things that you don't enjoy, and then having this down other side flip side to it of being able to be hyper focused and hyper fixated on things that you very much do enjoy that is a symptom of ADHD. Now, where shame or trauma come in is that as we're developing as an ADHD person, first of all, having these two networks working at the same time in our brain is a little bit crazy to deal with. It makes growing up a little complicated. Most people shame us for that symptom growing up. And we begin to internalize that shame as if something is wrong or broken about us. Mm. So now if we have a difficult time, okay, yeah, it's difficult for me as a person with ADHD to clean the house. It's not something I'm ever particularly thrilled about, and it's something I will put off until last or I have to do some things I enjoy doing first. But if I'm looking around at my house and it's not picked up and I'm wanting to go down a a rabbit hole and read a really intoxicating book about dopamine, (laughs) which is something (laughs) I would really like to do. I have so much shame around the fact that why can't I just, why can't I just work like a normal person who could just clean up their house and then read the book? And so now I feel ashamed. And then the the people who originally assigned that shame to me and punished me and made fun of me and called me stupid and all those things. How many comments did I get my whole life about my intelligence level and jokes made at my expense about how flighty and stupid I am? Well, that is all making me completely stuck. Because what my brain needs to do is do that creative thing so that I have the energy to then clean the house. And it needs to not spend that energy feeling ashamed of myself or going down that thought spiral of, of the trauma that
0: I faced before. We need to pause right here. Okay. Because I think you said something that I want you as a listener to understand that this, this is really important like a masterclass. If I'm in the spot where I am shamed and upset you said that you have to do the fun thing to be able to get the energy. So what is feeding the ability to do the boring stuff that you don't want to do? Where does that energy come from? Is it the dopamine hit of doing something that you enjoy that fuels your ability to go do something else?
1: It absolutely could be from that dopamine hit. That's a motivator molecule. So to motivate you to get things done. Also, it could be from the lack of shame. And if you knew how much energy, shame and trauma drain Mm. from you secretly and quietly all day, every day, Mm -hmm. ridding yourself of that burden gives you tons of energy to get stuff done.
0: So how do you just magically do that? (laughs) You know, like the whole world is not set up to accommodate a person with ADHD. And especially when you are negatively reinforced, when you forget to text back, or you didn't do the things you had set out to do, or have like 50 other things that you've completely forgotten, or that pile of stuff you just can't get to, you know, there, there's a lot of reinforcement um, around there. So how do you begin to start untangling the shame part?
1: Yeah, and it is important to acknowledge that if someone's listening to this, they're probably sitting in a mess right now, Mm -hmm. right? Because if they're empowered by their ADHD, they don't necessarily need to hear these words, or maybe they find them validating, but they don't need them. But I'm going to assume that people listening to this are currently sitting in a mess of what they feel like is their own making. Mm. And my job, I feel, is to zoom everyone out a little bit for a second and understand that this thing that you've been saying is a mess of your own making, that it's time to start admitting that you're sharing that burden with other people. You're sharing that burden with our society in the way that it only is made for neurotypical people. You're sharing that burden with all of the negative narratives that have been said about how your brain works since the beginning of time. Um, You're sharing it with everyone who didn't tell you all of the beautiful things about what it means to be ADHD. And, and the people who just never gave you the chance to develop those tools yourself in a natural way. You were mm. forced to always be neurotypical and you've been judging yourself off the neurotypical model. I like to use a visual for this for people that if you picture two babies, right? And one is learning to walk on like a flat, smooth surface. And the other is learning to walk on like an incline side of a mountain with lots of rocks and sand in the way. And all we get is the t- statistical feedback of how many times the baby falls. And we judge that baby on how many times it falls. Then we're going to continuously get feedback about this other you know, <laughs> neurotypical category baby of like, it only fell twice. <laughs> like what? <laughs> like what's wrong with me? Why am I falling so much? And there's absolutely no acknowledgement to the environment that that baby is climbing on. And if we can start to acknowledge the difference, then you can start to understand the gifts for what it means for that baby that learned to crawl or learned to walk in a more difficult environment. What an advantage Mm. that's going to be for that child later on.
0: So I think about ADHD, especially the adults. I know it's a freaking superpower, especially if you're an entrepreneur. But as a child, it's a different story. And you are required to keep up with grades. You are required to keep up with finishing tasks doing chores those kind of things how do you begin to reprogram the gifts or like you said change the narrative in a way that's going to be more helpful to us as a society
1: yeah so let's remember all these badass adults that you just referred to like Mm -hmm. they were children at one point right like so we know our, if we have an ADHD child to minute immediately start doomsdaying them, you know, and thinking about how hard life's going to be or how much they're going to be held back because of the way their brain operates. You're kind of out of the gate, missing the point of being excited for that end game and betting on your child that they're going to figure this out and this will be a part of their story at some point it's not bad news that your kid has adhd because look at all these badass adults myself included Mm -hmm. maybe you too i don't know (laughs) (laughs) uh we're, we're killing it out here and we need us more than ever we need creative thinkers whose brains are lighting up simultaneously in a way that everybody else's aren't we need those people So remember that. And remember when your kid is like bad at social skills and like gets in trouble for being too fidgety at school. Remember that you're betting on their their long game because these kids are late bloomers. These kids are long game players. If I could give you some things, can I just give you like a few ways of thinking um, or a few ways that they need to think that will maybe help people? Whether they're kids or not. First would be kids with ADHD, if you could, if I could tell you the number one thing that you can do to help them figure out the downsides to being ADHD, it would be giving them lots of free play with similar age peers, where there's no adult telling these kids what to do. How do you even begin to do that? <laughs> you can find places. There are there are outdoor like nature groups and stuff like that that mm. meet up with the goal of getting their kids together in nature. Um, nature is the best spot for ADHD people because hmm. they tend to be louder, they tend to be more physical, and that just feels overall less annoying when there aren't four walls, a ceiling,
0: and a floor. So ADHD kids do well outside. I love. <laughs> when Cindy gives her tips because they always hit home keep going <laughs>
1: but yeah i mean and i don't care just put it on a facebook group of like who wants to get our kids together in the woods and let them loose but it's messy a developing adhd kid in this world is messy they need so much time to practice that messiness before they fine tune it before they figure out the strengths before they become empowered they've got to make they have to do everything that every child needs to do They have to do it like 10 times more. So Mm -hmm. if that's my number one thing, if you have a kid with ADHD is unstructured play. If you're talking young, what is young? Well, I just mean if we're if your kid is like elementary or younger Mm -hmm. um, and you're, you're mostly controlling their calendar. I mean, they could be in karate and all these other things, but a lot of people want to put them in structured activities to teach them discipline. I'm telling you it is unstructured free play with similar age peers and the adults need to stay out of it and let them work out all those kinks in their own little mm. community.
0: And what about for adolescents older than elementary school? Yeah. And because it matters a lot more. The grades matter a lot more. Being able to handle chores, be able to finish tasks and to do lists, they have more independence. You aren't controlling the calendar. How do you? help support your child as they get older.
1: Yeah. Well, and the risks are a lot higher. The -hmm. risks of their mistakes are a lot higher, um, especially at their driving and things like that. Well, honestly, at that point, parents need to kind of accept the fact that they're not going to be able to do everything. um, And they're not going to be able to control everything, but just understand this kid is going to be a kid probably closer to 25 years old. Hmm. They're, I mean, it's just brain myelination, which is brain development. What is it called? Brain myelination. Because people will say like your brain is developing to your 25. And that's just technically not true. It's the neural pathways are forming their little grooves of yeah. which ones get used the most. And that is that really gets locked in by about 25. ADHD people, they're, they're, they're waiting till the very last minute. <laughs> like they're the last out the door mm-hmm. to develop that brain. So you need to just be knowing that they're going to require an infinite amount of patience shame needs to just not be part of the equation because what did we say before about how many struggles we have with adhd are about
0: shame and trauma so don't be part of the shame narrative what does that look like as a parent supporting children with adhd
1: when they do something really stupid or terrible or whatever it is that they do saying
0: i need Examples. (laughs) (laughs) Examples. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, typical teen situation, like lying and saying sneaking the their video games into their room and lying. Older teens drinking, doing drugs. Or
0: even ADHD, like ADHD-specific things. Oh,
1: yeah. they Because they, of the dopamine deficiency. That's mm. why you see more drug use with ADHD people, because mm. they're regulating that dopamine themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just not a good way to do it. So doing drugs. I mean, ADHD kids are you know is a lot is a high chance you're so nonchalant about that (laughs) (laughs) well because i'm betting on the kid i'm not looking at the symptom i'm betting on the kid so your kid you find out your kid you find the vape under their pillow it's like every parent of teens should just go like look under their kid's pillow or mattress and find the vape and then you don't go into the what were you thinking you don't talk down to them you don't talk to them like they're stupid you talk to them like we're all working this out together life is hard i know it's hard what's going on why do you think that you smoke how can i help you find a healthier way what do you need from
0: me how can we figure this out together so not punishment not saying this is wrong it is a more compassionate approach where you're walking through it with them
1: yes which if that sounds so hard
0: it does
1: (laughs) it really does it's because you're ashamed of you if you can't find that compassion for them it's because you're not giving it to yourself i see this with clients all the time what does that look like that they are parenting their child out of being like them you know don't be like me and they've got a death grip on on that or they just want them to be better than them. I want them to be better than I am. It tells me that parent doesn't think they're all that great. And they're not compassionate to themselves. And you see that in all the comments that you got when you ask people for questions about ADHD. Mm-hmm. How can I stop being like this? How can I stop being like that? Why am I so this? Why am I so that? They're ashamed of who they are. And I'm here to say, let's question that. Let's at least push back on that. And as when I work with clients with ADHD, as that's where I direct them. I don't... I don't tell them what to do with their kids. We start with them and giving themselves compassion. And as they're able to find compassion for themselves, finding it for your kid is twice as easy as finding it for yourself.
0: Hi, it's Allison. Thanks for listening. Did you know that the game-changing ideas shared on this show are things I can help you implement? I've created the mother of all masterminds called the Effective Collective. And if you want me in your corner helping you find more time and energy for what fills you up in under 90 days, go to allisonhair.com forward slash collective and sign up for a free exploratory call. Give yourself this time. You'll be so glad you did. Can you help us have a tool for ourselves to recognize when we're in our own shame spiral and it is coming out on our kids? You know, like I think about My daughter was recently diagnosed with ADHD. I mean, we're just a few weeks into this, which um, this turned out perfectly, you know, (laughs) and I don't know, maybe I have it. I feel like it's so much harder to focus than it ever was before. So I don't know if that is ADHD. I don't know if it is just, I feel a ridiculous amount of need for social media and all of that, like it's a problem and I'm on my phone all the time, which isn't good. But I wonder if I'm thinking about my child and the amount of times that I have to say shoes, 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 (laughs) shoes, shoes, put on your shoes, 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 eat, 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 get back up, get back up, get back up and eat. It's constant. And she's in second grade. So do I need to have more patience and have compassion for myself? You know, like when we have to get out the door. So I'm I'm just trying to find the balance here. Yeah.
1: I mean, ultimately, what I want people to do is get a whole lot more chill about a whole lot more things. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cindy. However. <laughs> people for- are zoning out.
0: <laughs> you you got to punch this up. Help us.
1: Well, uh, how we have to get there is accepting the fact that the reason we aren't a whole lot more chill about a whole lot more things is because a lot of us are parenting out of our own traumas right Mm. we're scarcity mindset parenting we're fear-based parenting we're survival mode parenting whatever you want to call it that's what we're doing so things like shoes i mean we're at our wits end and we have every minute of our day scheduled and a lot of adhd people will do that they'll have every minute of their day scheduled Because they can't stand to be alone with themselves because they don't understand what happens when they sit alone with themselves that those two networks are firing at the same time. Mm. And they're very ashamed of that. They're ashamed that their brain works that way. So can I try going a little bit in reverse and explain a couple of things to ADHD people about how their brain works? Okay, it's two things I wish y'all knew. So one is without shame, no apologies. ADHD people do things under two circumstances. There's no wiggle room on this. They do things when they have to. And they do things when they want to. This is how it works. This is how we are. So you can't control this any more than you can control your metabolism rates or anything else. This is the way we work. So a lot of people are expecting that through sheer willpower or something, they're magically going to start doing things they need to do. So I always hear about this third list of like, what about the things I need to do and I need to get done? If you're not doing them, they're not a have to. So it must not really be a need to. And it's time to start questioning like, do I really have to do this shit? And really pushing back on how many of these ridiculous things that I put on myself and I therefore then trickle down and put on my child Mm. actually have to get done. Because I'll tell you, if you're ADHD, if you really have to do it, if it is a part of getting you to a fulfilling life, you have to do it or you can't have the life that you want to have, I guarantee you, you'll do it. You'll procrastinate to the last minute, but it doesn't even matter. ADHD people procrastinating. There is a study. Look it up. ADHD people procrastinating produce the same quality work as neurotypical people who get do it earlier than the deadline hmm. so when you have to you'll do it your procrastination means nothing it is just as good a work as anybody else's so quit feeling bad that you pro- like i know somebody wrote in the comments something about why can't i do things earlier why do i wait till the last minute mm-hmm. so what if you wait to the last minute
0: i think what's interesting about that just a commentary to our culture in general and especially from somebody like me who has always been over scheduled where everything feels urgent and everything feels like if I don't do it, who will? And so that is a parent probably goes down to the kids as well. And I think that's what you're saying is if it is so important for me to get everything done where Superwoman is like getting up, having everything scheduled and knocking out the day. And to not have that with our kids is also passing that urgency there that ends up turning into shame. And so I think even as an adult, assuming I'm neurotypical, I don't know, but like <laughs> maybe taking a look at our own calendars of what what really needs to be done or what has to be done, I think there's some beauty in that.
1: Yeah, I think it's time to curate. I mean, really curate the things that you have on your list. And, and if your body, because this is the cool thing about being ADHD and neurodiverse is we won't live a fake ass life. We won't marry people and stay with them forever if we don't love them. We won't live in a situation. We won't work a job in a cubicle that we hate for the rest of our lives. We won't do things like that. That's the beauty of working the way we work and having the emotion centers that we have that I hear people complain all about, Mm -hmm. all that emotion. We won't have an unfulfilling life. We'll die first. And that's what Mm -hmm. some of us do is like slowly die, but we won't do it. And so if your body is saying no to something that you really, really think you should or need to be doing, I would say, let's bring that out, you know, take that out of the box and reassess And just figure out, is there some part of me that doesn't believe in me doing this? There's some part of me that doesn't really want to do it or doesn't want to do it like this? Or is there part of me that feels like I need to because of an external pressure to be this kind of person versus an internal need and therefore I have to?
0: Mm. That seems like a much more compassionate place. And what I would love to do is I want to take some of these questions that people have asked and let's see if we can answer a few of them. And I know Shay asked, if a child with ADHD hits a kid impulsively and they can't control it yet, how do you address it to ensure that person receives a consequence for his actions? So let me just say that again. Your kid is young. They have usually ADHD. Typically, it has impulsivity issues. They might lash out before they're they think about it. Do you punish them? What is the consequence for that? Or how do you handle somebody who may not have control over their impulses yet, but it impacts other people?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, and um, you said yet. They don't have that yet. Well, what I was saying before about all that unstructured play with, with similar age peers is the minute adults swooped in, honestly, to mitigate that situation, we kind of robbed our kids Of the ability to have that natural consequence that they needed to have. So, punishments make the punisher feel better. (laughs) But in general, natural consequences are what actually helps that child learn this lesson that you're hoping Mm. they'll learn. Because what will happen if you just shame and punish that behavior is they'll internalize it. So whatever was happening with what they were acting out, they're now just acting that inward. You know, so whether that's they hit that kid out of frustration, and they don't yet have better tools for expressing frustration. Now they're going to internalize that pain and internalize that feeling of frustration. I'm not saying it's going to happen the first time that you intervene, but I'm saying over time, that's what will happen. So understanding like when i said these kids need a whole long time this isn't i don't know if this is controversial or not it's just what is is they they need the opportunity to hit a lot of kids and get a lot of
0: flack for hitting Jeez. those kids <laughs> <And> <laughs> this like, does not sound like a good plan
1: <laughs> but they we need to stay out of it a lot more um and we're in a very overstructured environment. So our this is why we're having more problems is because our kids are being watched 24-7. Parents are jumping in. But I guarantee you those same ADHD kids in the 80s did a lot of hitting and eventually <laughs> get ostracized. You know what I'm saying? Or they, they eventually hang out with a terrible crowd and then they get tired of hanging out with a terrible crowd and they start finding, you know, new ways to behave. So <laughs>
0: That's still betting on the kid. I'm like, but if they're hanging out with a terrible crowd, what's (laughs) going to happen? So the answer really is around natural consequences. Brandon talks about understanding how to work with the emotional and behavioral aspects of a child as a parent. And categorically, when somebody does X, that really means X. And I know that you would naturally do X but what would what will actually get the results you want to do? Why? If I'm interpreting this the right way, because I'm reading from notes here, is there's a certain amount of structure in a family that each child contributes to, right? And so if from an emotional standpoint, and they are expressing themselves in a certain way, and we don't quite understand it, is there like an interpretation guide for that? I think that's one question.
1: Well, yeah, and it's helpful when your kid does the crappy thing to you and within your family unit, because now the natural consequences can exist within your family unit. And I I think what he's saying is like, when my kid acts like a total jerk or is, you know, has an emotional outburst or, you know, punches a hole in the wall, as some some teenagers do, you know, what do you do? And that really is about responding with what isn't okay. Like the feeling is okay. The feeling that your child is having is okay. All feelings are okay. All behavior isn't. And so one thing that might help Brandon out is not taking things so personally, because a lot of times the overwhelm of parenting a child with ADHD is feeling like you have failed or feeling like your child doesn't respect you or the, all these sorts of feelings um, that you have around your child's behavior, whereas it is as simple as your child has ADHD. So they have a more active emotion center combined with a low impulse control. And so therefore is the a very logical result you would see would be a child who would need a minute to figure out healthy ways to express emotions. And so mm. if you know, like, okay, this kid's going to have a lot of emotional outbursts and this kid's going to, um, it's going to take them a really long time to learn how to feel and express frustration and what is or isn't okay Hopefully that makes it easier to just keep holding the boundary of that behavior isn't okay. The feeling is you're, I see that you're frustrated, but you can't do that. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. And when parents are like, that sounds nice, but you know, in the moment it is really frustrating. Mm -hmm. It is really annoying. But what really adds to that is the feeling that this is personal. This has something to do with them not respecting you, or this has something to do with you having failed them as a parent. And it doesn't. So maybe if you can relieve yourself of that burden, now a very annoying, frustrating situation maybe becomes a little less annoying and frustrating. And you can watch your kid have an emotional meltdown when you take away video games every single day. And every single day you say you can't throw the controller, but you can go scream into a pillow or you you can feel frustrated. I know you're frustrated, but you can't do that. Is there something else you can do? And you just do that a bazillion times. I don't. I don't know what to tell you because Ooh, it's a long game.
0: I love this, and I think it's important for you uh, as a listener to hear that. Of just what I think it challenges as a parent, our natural instinct, the way we were parented, is don't do that. Why? Because I said so. But not giving an alternative language or an alternative action is where is giving another alternative action is where we can empower the child and like help redirect so it's like setting new neural pathways am i understanding that right
1: yeah well that's breaking generational curses there and and Mm. it's great that's what it looks like (laughs) and if you're white knuckling it then you need to do a little bit of inner work about your own shame if it feels like that, that that doesn't feel authentic, yes. and you can't actually find that compassion, that means there's some compassion missing for you, I promise. Yes.
0: Yeah, so Kaylee asked, she is looking for a planner to manage all the schedules. And so I, I'm injecting this because I know that the first thing that I was told when there were suspicions that my daughter had ADHD is checklist work. And why don't you make these to do lists? And I'm like, Hmm. Those didn't last very long. And so she's talking about finding a planner to manage all the schedules and finding systems to normally do things when all people in the house are contributing to the house moving forward or keeping clean or whatever. Are there any systems or expectations or guidance that can help us?
1: Girl, like the lists and the planners, they, everybody wants an ADHD person to just find the right planner and find the right list. I feel her. But when mm-hmm. you said something earlier about normal systems, yes, that's a very, if that works for you and you have ADHD, more power to you. But if it doesn't, I'm speaking to you. That is a very neurotypical way of dealing with a, a chaotic schedule. One. Because like I said before, ADHD people can't live a life that they don't know like what where they're headed. Like I want a fulfilling, exciting life. Mm-hmm. Where is it? Mm-hmm. So A curate, if she has all these kids going all these directions and doing all these things a curate like let's make sure you're invested in these things and you're not just a chauffeur everywhere you go because your adhd heart won't let that happen like it'll blow it up for you real fast <laughs> so first curate if, if this truly is the life that you want to organize or that you want to happen but you just need a planner or a list because it, it doesn't get done okay so this is where i'm going to talk about natural rhythms and adhd people finding and following their natural rhythms and if you have been going against your natural rhythms your whole life please Mm -hmm. be patient Mm -hmm. because it's going to be like riding a bike all over again i want to kind of explain something about goals and adhd people with goals if that's okay i promise this addresses her her planner and checklist question so a neurotypical person picture them and picture the goal Right. A neurotypical person, very logical to them, is a straight line from them to the goal. Very plain and simple. A lot of us support that narrative. That narrative is very, um, it's expected of us to follow that narrative. It's expected that all of us would follow that narrative. Now, a person who is neurodiverse, particularly an ADHD person, picture the person, picture the goal. The person orbits the goal circles in on it like a spiral you picture like an orbit around the goal Mm -hmm. okay so when someone is in the phase of orbiting their goal that they're headed towards the planet if you imagine an orbit the goal is the planet everybody validates you everybody's like you're doing it right way to go look at you you're doing life good you get lots of praise But then once you go into the phase of the orbit that passes that planet, right, and goes beyond the planet into the next phase of the orbit, everybody starts going, boo, (laughs) you're doing (laughs) life wrong. You suck. You quit. (laughs) Oh, you quit everything. Okay. So if we believe that and we assign shame and we assume that, oh, we lost interest in that goal or we strayed from that goal or we didn't do the things right, we'll give up on it. And then we'll just find the next thing and we'll keep giving up and we'll keep quitting a lot of things. ADHD people, please follow your orbit because when you go into that other fa- other phase of the orbit which is going to look like, okay, say you want to write a book, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere you get the ick for writing. <laughs> you've been writing like a mad person for days, and you know that's when everybody's like, "Look at you, you're gonna write this book. Good job. All of a sudden, you the last thing you want to do is write. You can't make your, you can't, you've got writer's block. You can't think of a single thing. And all of a sudden you want to pick up a guitar and start trying guitar. Well, everybody's going to call you flighty and a quitter and all that no please pick up the freaking guitar and play the guitar because the coolest 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 thing about neurodiverse people because the way our brains have those two networks running at the same time is we can make connections and correlations to things that other people don't see
0: Mm -hmm. this is
1: a gift yeah massive massive gift i would never be able to be who i am and have the practice i have without this gift And so when you're playing that guitar, if writing a book truly is a goal that is yours and not one that you decided to have because people said you should, Mm -hmm. trust me, that guitar, you're you're gonna bring things from learning guitar that are drastically gonna impact and improve your writing. So let it happen. Let yourself stray. Go off and do the whimsical thing. Go off and Hmm. be a weirdo, be a quitter, whatever they wanna call you. And if you really are meant to write that book, If you let yourself go through that phase of the orbit, you will come back around. I promise you. And that book will be better because you did. So all that to say, is there a planner structured like that? I don't know. Is there a list structured like that? I don't know. We don't work in a linear way. You can see how a list makes tons of sense for neurotypical people. Because they walk in a room and say there's five things that need to get done. And two things they want to do. Neurotypical people will be able to easily list in order... What's most urgent based on deadlines, based on needs, based on, you know, whatever. They'll be able to easily list the tasks that they need to do in order. And usually the want to will be the last two things. Neurodiverse people, ADHD people, we can't. We walk in the room and everything's at the same volume. Or they are at different volumes, but not the neurotypical model. It wouldn't look like the list the neurotypical person would make. So I'm begging instead, I don't remember her name. Kaylee. (laughs) Kaylee, please follow your orbit. Please Follow that natural rhythm. And so when you're, whatever it is that you want to do, okay, if you want to make a list of the things you want to do, that's fine to get it on paper. But then you do that in whatever order you want. And so I don't care if that's sit around, I will sit around and draw and my whole house will be a mess around me. The minute I get done drawing and when I'm ready, my body will go, okay, let's clean. And I'll, I clean way more than I ever did when I tried to do it the neurotypical way.
0: Hmm. It sounds like once again, getting that dopamine hit of that creativity and ADHD typically have like a lot more creativity. Zena asks about moodiness associated with ADHD. Is that a trait?
1: Well, moodiness is a trait. Is it an ADHD trait? I don't know. There's no real explanation as to why we experience emotions on a deeper level, but that does seem to correlate with ADHD. We talked before about two reasons. One possibly could be because we get like opposed more often. We run into more obstacles. So maybe that makes us a little bit moodier. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also could have something to do with sort of that impulsivity. Like maybe we're feeling the same moods that neurotypical people are feeling, but they have more restraint over the expression of those moods. There's actually no understanding exactly as to why people are more emotional who are ADHD. But we are. But it goes both ways. It's not only the negative
0: emotions. And this has come up a couple of times is there are adults who are struggling and they wonder, do I need to get treated? Is there a certain line in the sand where it makes sense to get evaluated?
1: Yeah. Like as far as seeking the formal diagnosis? Yeah. The main reasons you would want to be formally diagnosed, which is called a psychological evaluation, is validation. For a lot of people, they won't allow themselves to release that shame until they know it's really real and they're not making it up in their head or using it as an excuse. Mm. Um, You're not. (laughs) But, But if some people need that formal diagnosis for that validation. If you want to pursue medication as a way of coping with your ADHD, which I'm very Switzerland on that, I don't feel one way or the other, then you would want to have that diagnosis, which usually, just for medication, you can usually uh, just do that through your psychiatrist or your general practitioner. And then for kids, it's a lot about getting accommodations at school, like that's why they'll want to get a formal diagnosis is to get any type of like 504 IEP plan to have accommodations for their symptoms. Those are kind of the main the main reasons to get diagnosed.
0: I need to talk for a minute because psychological evaluations are very expensive. They're not covered under insurance. There is, you have to be in some sense of privilege to be able to do that. And maybe it is because of the validation and understanding when does it make sense for medication or not. You said you're very Switzerland or neutral. Why are you neutral? What does that mean?
1: I mean, because there's there it's a pretty even balance of people who've had adverse experiences with medication, and people who've had life changing for positive
0: mm-hmm.
1: experiences. And I never want to hold anybody back from something that works. It's a pretty cut and dry medication that it it becomes active in your system when you take it. Uh, you, you'll know pretty quickly whether it works for you or not. I want to actually give, because for me to talk about medication, I feel like is out of my lane. It's not Mm -hmm. what I specialize in. And you really want to see a psychiatrist about that. But I can give people a couple of good resources if they really want to go really deep. What are the
0: resources? And I can link them in the show notes too.
1: So the Huberman Lab podcast Has an episode that just came out about ADHD medications, and it's so that's going to be the latest in research. So you can go and they're going to talk about the different types of ADHD meds, what it is, what it does to the brain, what the statistics are around it. So I think it's going to be pretty like it's very thoroughly covered. So I would say go to the Huberman lab and listen to the ADHD medication uh, podcast. And then just another resource to throw out to people is that you can do gene testing to see what medications you're most likely going to be responsive to. Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Gene testing, mm-hmm. tell me more. <laughs> yeah, what so is this,
1: that? So it's basically a genetic test, like like think of Twenty Three and Me, really yeah. similar at home test. You mm-hmm. mail it off. It's about a hundred dollars. I want to say. I know so it's not, not too expensive. It's not crazy. Um, And it will help you on your journey because for people who are of modest means and maybe don't have the luxury of getting thousands of dollar psych you can do this gene test, figure out what medications you're most likely to be responsive to, and then you can go to your even your general practitioner, it depends on the general practitioner, but they can even do an ADHD test. I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's, they ask you a series of questions. And if you say yes to enough of them, they diagnose you with ADHD, but at least you can pair maybe this gene testing with what your general practitioner or psychiatrist recommend to come up with a decent place to start with looking at medication. That's not going to necessarily recommend dosage and things like that, but That's probably the best budgetary way to go about getting medicinal support. But keep in mind, uh, there's a shortage right now of ADHD meds. So
0: this has come up too: is drug free neurotherapy. And that has proven miraculous for some people that have been commenting on this. Do you know much about it?
1: Yeah, highly effective treatment. Um, So what is it? Like, it's basically training your brain, if that makes sense. So training. How is that
0: different from cognitive behavioral therapy?
1: Cognitive behavioral therapy is what you would think of as traditional talk therapy. Yeah. So you and your therapist talking through different interventions on the couch and, you know, discussing what. Your symptoms are, and they may be giving you some different exercises to try. So that's very different. The neurofeedback therapy, you're, oh, and I, I would be a little bit out of my lane, but it's essentially doing exercises, like even just looking and watching things on a screen that regulate different brain waves in your brain to make you experience different neural pathways. And I think mm-hmm. it's part of creating neuroplasticity. The thing is, is you all these different tips and tools that you can find for coping with your symptoms of ADHD, almost all of them have validity. It's the step before that (laughs) that I feel like I want to address with people, because if we stay in a very pathologized mindset of something's wrong with me, something's wrong with my kid, how what's the best way to fix it? I feel like my job is coming in to change that mindset first. And sure, do neurofeedback therapy, do medication to make life easier for you or make life easier for your child. But if this shame is still sitting there, if this trauma around the fact that you operated differently and everyone judged you for how you operate, I hate to say, but you're you're just not going to get the results that you're looking for. And so Mm. really please try and be unapologetic about the fact that just this is one population's way of operating. And if our whole society worked around the way we operated, the neurotypical people would be walking around with the same problems that we have right now.
0: So I wonder about nutrition as well. Um, We have my daughter seeing a therapist and she said no dyes. No red dyes. (laughs) The red 40. (laughs) The red 40 or any dyes. Yeah. And then my daughter was upset to learn that hot dogs have dyes. (laughs) Otherwise, they'd be gray. Gross. Mm -hmm. I mean, hot dogs are disgusting anyway. Do you know much about that? Like nutrition based? Are there certain things that can really be an effective way to impact uh, an ability to focus?
1: Yes. So there's uh, sugar and the uh, dyes do not help the situation with ADHD. Uh, that's just the, that's pretty much across the board. But then there's the oglioantigen diet, which is, again, with the gene or like genetic testing, but sending off to see if you have food sensitivities. So you can send off to have a, a, your DNA tested to see, do you have certain food sensitivities? And then eliminating whatever it comes back with uh, the things that you are sensitive to. That's not the same thing as allergy. Eliminating those things from your diet one by one to figure out maybe if one of those is that, or all of them are exacerbating your symptoms. But when I go, when you go into this stuff, here's the thing when you go into all these diet changes and eliminating things from your diet, we really have to think in terms of balance and That's why I always prioritize the freaking shame around things and empowerment first, because if you didn't have shame about how you worked, if you felt empowered and unapologetic about the way you operate, let's just see what Mm. is still existing after that, because maybe your kid can have birthday cake at anybody's birthday and they're not taking a freaking fruit and nut bar because they can't have sugar and maybe you're not eliminating you know all these ridiculous foods and sending off for all these tests and going through all these dosages and all these medications that all takes a lot so I'm just asking that first let's first curate our schedules let's make sure is your life over scheduled for a person with ADHD do you really are you really lit up by the things that you do every day Second, Mm. are we living with shame? Are we ashamed of the fact that our brain works in a really interesting and cool way? Are we apologizing for the fact that our brain works in a cool and interesting way? Are we trying to make space for people like us in our society? Are we being an advocate for our child having that space and us having that space? Let's just, can we do that first (laughs) is like my whole plea. So you're spot on. Yeah, there are diets, there are foods, there are medications, there are all these things.
0: So I want to help Megan out. <laughs> and So <laughs> Megan put a list of things that she is feeling, like that she has 9,999 tabs open all the time, or that her brain is a sieve, or finishing tasks, feeling behind, forgetting things constantly, feeling like she never f- remembered something she should have. And I, I'm saying this not to throw Megan under the bus, but because I imagine people listening to this are like, holy shit, I feel that way, like procrastinating, hunger, low self-esteem, feeling stupid, exhausted. This feels like a lot of shame, focus, anxiety, not knowing which thing to do first. How do you release the shame part of all of that when you have a job that requires a lot of you? You have children that require a lot of you and a family that require a schedule that requires a lot of you. How can we help bring relief to the person who feels like the way their system is set up, for whatever reason, there are a lot of priorities and things that are pulling at the Megans of the world. I need to help Megan. I need to help (laughs) the person that feels so much shame with it.
1: Yeah, well, I first want to say that anxiety is not a symptom of ADHD, Anxiety is always a trauma or shame response to ADHD. That is not a symptom of ADHD. So it it's not just part of it. Um, the anxiety is around the way our symptoms are responded to and the the narrative that we're told about what it means to have those symptoms. She said all the thousands of tabs open. And I imagine that that has a ripple effect for all the other things that she said is basically like, well, I have these thousands of tabs open. Mm -hmm. That is a symptom of ADHD. That's what it looks like when your default mode network and your task positive network are running at the same time. It's like they're each like their own orchestra. And then imagine that two orchestras are playing at the same time. That's a lot. But what I'll tell you is if you tune into those orchestras, if you learn how to conduct two orchestras at the same time, and that only begins when you trust that your body is bringing you somewhere cool. Mm. (laughs) So when you if you can do that, if you can hit that groove and hit that wave, it's it's sweet living. It really can be a beautiful, beautiful thing.
0: Explain what that looks like in your world because you have ADHD. Yeah. You've got a family. You've got a career. You've had a career before this career.
1: (laughs) had a lot of careers. You had a lot of
0: (laughs) careers. And you personally have gone through quite a transformation over the past couple of years where, but when we met, you were really rough on yourself. You were hard on yourself. And I would tell you, Cindy, No, stop saying that about yourself. And it is a complete 180 now, where you were mercilessly annihilating yourself on a normal basis. And that was your default mode network. (laughs) And now you don't do that at all. And so what does it look like to release that shame and anxiety if that is in some strange way a motivator? for you to get shit done.
1: Yeah, self-deprecation was how I managed my ADHD. If I had enough shame around being this type of person, then I would avoid being that type of person. It really wasn't working very well, but it looked like it was working because people were responding to me well and I do get stuff done and I, I was creating really beautiful things. I thought the shame was part of that, holding me accountable, keeping me on track. It turned out when I let go of the shame, everything's the same. Like I'm just as productive. I'm just as valuable. Um, People find my ideas and my concepts still just as helpful. But now I can sleep at night and now I like myself. So the shame is useless. I can just tell you. And it really starts with you having the clue, the questioning that maybe it is useless and that's what I hope to bring is to just give people that little bit of doubt that the way you work, there's nothing wrong with it. What if it's not you and it never was you? And that doesn't mean that you're you're going to believe that and then your life is fixed overnight, but it's definitely not going to hurt. And to just start questioning, you, know, you said, what does that look like in my life? I mean, I had already engineered my life to be safe for me. I had already engineered
0: a pretty What does safe mean
1: people who love me for who I am, my flexible schedule, my body and my ADHD brain brought me to a safe place that wasn't overwhelmed and wasn't overworked. But I still felt that way. So luckily for me, and I don't know if it's going to be the same for everybody, some people will maybe have to make some changes, but starting to question whether or not I should apologize for the way I work or whether or not I should embrace the way that I am led to me actually taking small steps to doing that. And nothing, nothing bad happened. Only good things have come out of that. And I've had a beautiful assistant of therapy and psilocybin assisted therapy and lots of tools. But it really, if I hadn't started letting go of that shame, those tools maybe wouldn't have been as effective. Hmm. So you say, what does my life look like? I do pretty much whatever I want, whenever I want. But since I'm a fairly decent, nice person, that doesn't really, it's not that big a deal. I don't ruin anybody's life by being who I want to be. I clean my house in the order that I want to. I do tasks when I want to. I nap when I
0: want to. Can we talk about a a partner supporting or having ADHD?
1: Yeah. Um, Like the partner having ADHD or you, you like, how do you mean? I'm
0: thinking about, so if, if I had ADHD and I cleaned the house whenever I wanted, (laughs) and it wasn't as often as a partner may want, you know, like there is some frustration in the expectation over somebody who's neurotypical versus neurodiverse. So how do you navigate the partner? Whether it's somebody who, is neurotypical having expectations on somebody who is neurodiverse or vice versa?
1: That's where that unapologetic part comes in Mm. where you have to say, you know, these are the things that are important to me and these are the, these, I have to do things the way I'm going to do it. I'm not going to weigh in on how you do your things but I would also like it if you did not weigh in on how I do my things. Because I definitely have a very structured, very neurotypical husband, about as neurotypical as they come. And a lot of that judgment was actually projected onto him. And I think we we do that a lot more than we realize where we assume someone is judging us. And so currently I'll nap when I feel like napping, even if there are Sounds things amazing. That
0: <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more, Cindy.
1: <laughs> and I don't, I don't live some life of luxury. I am, I have a lot on my plate is mm-hmm. what people, a lot of people, I'll go toe to toe with people's schedules, but it is, it is of my creation and it is going towards a fulfilling life that I can see the the point in. That doesn't mean I do whatever I want, whenever I want for my, my husband. Like I don't run his life. I run my life. And so there are times where I'll nap at a time when I probably should, quote unquote, be doing other things. And he walks by, walks into the living room, and he starts laughing at me. Now, before this healing work, that would have been a devastating blow. I would have thought he hates me, he's judging me, and I would have all this shame and still wouldn't be able to get up because I'd be exhausted from all that shame. But now I'd laugh with him. I'm like, yeah, it's how I roll. This, this is how it
0: is. This sounds like you're standing in your power. You're embodied by your power. What have you learned lately as late learner? What have you le- learned lately that you were wrong about?
1: Mm. Gosh. ooh, you kind of schooled me on that Martha Stewart swimsuit edition isn't just empowerment. for. It isn't a step necessarily in the right direction to that. Can I say that?
0: Yeah. And just for reference, (laughs) Martha Stewart has graced the cover of Sports Illustrated as an 81 year old person in a bathing suit. And it has been widely celebrated as an age inclusive. But I thought how ageist because she looks nowhere near 81 and has had all of her wrinkles smoothed all the way out where I wondered what are we celebrating are we celebrating that she looks younger than 81 or are we celebrating that she is has vitality and so I don't know if that yeah is really what I, took you it,
1: I took it hook line and sinker <laughs> of like yeah good for her But no, you're right. I think it's like, oh, yeah, it's you can be 80 and on uh, Swimsuit Illustrated if you are attractive and don't have wrinkles.
0: Yes. (laughs) Well, Cindy, thank you so much for being here again. You rocked it. And God, we have so much to think about, don't we? So how do people get in touch with you?
1: By going to my website. It's CindyRobinsonLLC.com.
0: Thank you, Cindy. Always love having you. Thanks. Cindy Robinson, you have done it again. Thank you for making this parenting journey so much less scary and helping us become so much better equipped. I've linked everything in the show notes, including all of the previous episodes that Cindy has been on, Late Learner Podcast, there are a lot. So if you want to dive a little bit deeper into parenting and understanding your adolescence, human behavior, it is there. And if you're looking to explore a new chapter for yourself and would like someone in your corner to help you pave a new path in just 90 days, let's talk. I've created the mother of all masterminds, the effective collective, and I've only got a few spots left. Go to allisonhair.com forward slash collective and schedule a time with me for a free exploratory call. And as we wrap up today, I promised you a second round of the good stuff to close us out. The surprisingly true useful fun fact, a study out of the university of Helsinki found that dogs can develop a behavioral condition that resembles ADHD. What? The results after examining 11,000 dogs show that puppies and male dogs are more prone to ADHD like behavior. And as social animals, dogs can get frustrated and stressed when they're alone, which can be released as hyperactivity, impulsivity, and inattention. Woof! Do you think your dog might have ADHD? Wow. Well, I hope you pass on this good stuff. Pass it on. I've linked the studies in the show notes. And thank you so, so much for listening and late learning right alongside me. It means so much to me that you listen and tune in every time I publish. And as always, be good to yourself so you can be better for others. See you next time.